Enterprising in my surroundings I'm finding the quietest estates these days This representation of storm brewing Amazed that the focus remains The vocal focal point of my change Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast I'm your host, Matt Chittam And this is the podcast for all the dedicated Amateur runners out there Who are working hard to get better While balancing running for the rest of their lives Today's show was so much fun to record. We are here with Ashley Paulson. She is just such, such a, an incredible athlete. Like this woman is absolutely incredible. There's really no other word for it. Uh, she is a pro triathlete. She runs ultra marathons. She runs a ton of marathons. She's in fact, she just ran her, her 91st marathon. Um, she has a whole bunch of kids. She has a full, you know, she has, she has a job in the fitness industry. You might know her from iFit. She's been doing this for so long and she is just a bundle of energy and go get it spirit. This woman, um, man, I'll say what, if you could, if you could bottle up the energy this woman has and sell in a store, <laughs> she'd be a billionaire. This is insane. I've been waiting for a while to have her on the show and I am just so glad that we made it happen. This conversation was super fun to have, not only because of her accomplishments and everything she's been able to do in her life, which are considerable and so much fun to talk about, but just the enthusiasm she brings to a conversation and to her everyday life was just super enjoyable. So I have no doubts that you will love this conversation with Ashley Paulson. Ashley Paulson, welcome to the show. Oh, it is so great to be here with you. I have loved your podcast in the past, so I'm honored to be a part of it today. Oh, what Thank a you. nice thing for you to say. I am such a big fan of yours. And oh. it's funny because it, what, what, what ends up always happening as I'm kind of trying to stay, try to keep abreast of what's happening in your training and racing life <laughs> is that I always feel like I'm one step behind. I'm like, oh, she just did an Ironman? Oh, wait, she just did a marathon? <laughs> like, did I miss... The training part of this, um, and that's no different than today. Like I feel like I'm like going back. We're like you know preparing for the episode. I'm like, yeah, she just did an Ironman, right? Wait, oh hold on, no, she also just did a marathon. That's and it's like how it goes. Is it is insane, man. You you are one constant ball of energy, and it's freaking awesome. Thank you. Well, I I really don't know certain things that are coming up until last minute, and so. I'm right there with you. I don't even know what's happening. So I'm just thrilled that my body tolerates me and my um, addiction to racing. So you just have to be like perpetually ready to go, <laughs> right? Like you are like, you're like one of like those like doomsday preppers who has like the escape bag. But for you, it's like the, tra like the, the racing training kit bag but, for yeah. any and all racing opportunities. What are you training for, Ashley? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. We'll find out next week what event there is. Well, that's the thing, because like, you know, you you are a triathlete, you're a pro triathlete, yes. you are one of the best women marathoners in the country, which we'll talk about. This happened at the Olympic trials, and that really cemented your place there. You are also an ultra runner. You are you also are a mainstay at iFit, and you love Richard Simmons, which means you could be like doing all sorts of stuff. Um, actually, you know what? I'm going to bring this up because you know what? I actually had the PR agent, because you'll love this, and there's going to be a cohort of our listenership that is not going to understand anything, and please please bear with me, and if you want to fast forward to like five minutes from now, that's fine. Um, the PR marketing firm for Denise Austin approached me last oh, really? year. It was like, hey, we'd love for her to be on the show. She's never heard of it. But like, she doesn't, even the, even the pitch was like, it wasn't about running at all. 
I'm like, if she doesn't run at all, it probably isn't a great fit. But as someone who like watched ESPN two, like at its at its infancy, and saw like Gilad and Denise Austin like every morning. <laughs> but you didn't you didn't do it. Well, because I was kind of like after the first five minutes, I'd be like, wait, what do I talk about now? <laughs> and uh, what's your favorite color? There's always something to talk about. There probably was, and and I probably gave up too fast. I think it was more of like my audience would be like, "It's a who, who, who is this? Who is this non-runner that I've never heard of? Who's who's supposed to be really famous, but only Matt knows who it is?" Well, hey, we all have our people, right? People, there's so many people. My kids, they only know Richard Simmons because of me. But anybody else their age, they people like Richard Richard Simmons. Who? So I feel that. I feel that. I, remember, I, I heard you talking about Richard Simmons on Ryan Huff's podcast, and you were like, obviously, <laughs> all about it. Were you were you ingrained in the whole like, where's Richard Simmons? You know search what? thing? I actually, um, I didn't even find out about that until probably six months ago. So oh. I'm out of it. I'm out of that. I'm still in the past with him in his little shorty shorts. Like I'm still in that Richard Simmons mind. I had no idea he disappeared. So. That's funny. Really, That's funny. Yeah. All right. So I, I don't know where to begin with you. I guess the first thing is one thing that we have talked about on this episode, on this podcast a lot is just like, what is talent and stuff like that? And one of the things that I've always maintained in part because Sarah Bishop is like the most popular guest in this show's history and has come on repeatedly for various, for various reasons and different things. Um, and one thing that she has that obviously you also have in spades is this ability to just have a high output of physical activity, no matter what the endeavor is, right? Like if even if I feel like if you were never introduced to sports and you were like, I'm a, you know, a musician, you could be like, I'm gonna practice 12 hours a day and I'd be fine, right? Like there's some people who just seems like they have that God-given motor, no matter their endeavor. My mother-in-law is the same way. She doesn't do sports at all, but like she's up 20 hours a day and is constantly doing things. So he's never not being productive in some way, shape or form. This seems to be you. I'd love to hear your take on that. And also kind of like when you had some sort of realization that this was potentially a little superpower of yours. A superpower. I like that. Wow. Thank you. Um, You know, I've always had fitness in my life. Like growing up, I'd see my dad go out every day and they'd always encourage fitness and like moving our body, whether it's um, through running or (laughs) Richard Simmons. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever it was, my parents were a big fan of moving our body. And so just like brushing our teeth, it was just part of something that I did. Well, I, I mean, I hope everybody does that part. <laughs> you know, that wasn't, so it wasn't, I felt like that wasn't the best example. Like, I feel like. <laughs> I know. I was like, I feel like everybody should brush their teeth every day, but maybe they don't. Uh, I would just, let's ingrain both. Let's move our body and brush our teeth every day. Okay. There you you go. leave with nothing today. Leave with that. <laughs> but it was, it was always a part of something that I did. And there was times, of course, that I, it wasn't what I wanted to do, but it was just something we did. I was homeschooled. And so my mom would do the PE, you know, and that was our Richard Simmons hour um, or running with my dad in the morning. Um, But when it really came to endurance was after I had um, my twins, when I I just turned 20 years old and um, I had already run one marathon and, and it was, it was, 
I was hooked from there, but then I got pregnant really quickly and um, we were dirt poor, like completely dirt poor. My husband's going to school. I've got these twin babies and I'm like, hey, what can I do? What can I do? And I started teaching fitness classes and I teach as many as I could every single day because that was our income with my husband at school. And it was, I would teach five or six classes a day. And then I kind of dove into more, um, I tried an endurance race and um, a longer event. I was like, wow, I didn't really have to train particularly for that because of what I've been preparing my body with um, fitness classes, you know, a couple hours a day, it all adds up fitness is fitness. And so I'm not necessarily trained for some particular events like other people, but I was training nonetheless with hours on my feet and hours of cardio. Um, and, and I realized once I was like, gosh, if I could do five or six hours of teaching, what, what am I capable of doing once I taper and put that towards a race, you know, put that towards an event. And so that kind of opened my eyes right there. I can imagine. All right. Well, we have to go back a little bit further there because like what I'm, I'm trying to like, I'm putting, trying to put myself like in your shoes. Right. So you have these two twins at home <laughs> and you're like, obviously that that's a huge emotional, mental, physical challenge in and of itself. Absolutely. Right. Um, so, and then to be like, all right, I'm also going to be doing, you know, extended periods of time teaching these classes. You must've been, preceding the birth of these kids, you know, pretty, you know, in shape and ingrained with this in order to take that challenge on, I would assume. Well, it's not like I started with a load of classes right away. I built into that. Um, But like I mentioned, I had, I had done my first marathon when I was 18. No, I just turned 19. I'm sorry. Um, And then shortly after I got pregnant with those twins. And so I had that fitness, but then I slowly built that endurance up through fitness classes I didn't go right into teaching. I'm sorry if I made it sound. Oh, no, it's fine. Go right into teaching like, yeah, we're going six hours every day. It took time. And it was for me, it worked as a mom, as a new mom, to go teach early morning classes, get maybe three classes under my belt before the kids woke up. My husband would go to school and then maybe teach a few more at night. Um, But slowly, that doesn't happen overnight, Uh, like for anybody without injury happening, right? Right. Um, Yeah, so it was like years of slowly building up to that um because i didn't do my first iron man for gosh my my girls were 10 by then i had had my third girl at that time um by that time and so three girls and then i finally hit my first iron man in 2010 so did you immediately really dive into like enjoying um this these fitness classes and all the stuff that came about within it or was this simply like hey man we need some money around here and this i know how to do this let's just make it happen i guess the the reason i'm asking is i often ask people especially new people who are new runners and certainly you weren't new to a physical activity and you already run a marathon when did basically i asked them like hey when did it go from hey i want to be a runner to lose weight or get in shape or whatever. And then it morphed at some point to like, no, I love this. This is an endeavor that I want to be a lifelong runner. And it has that, that conversion, sometimes a, a revolutionary conversion for them um, just for you in regards to, you know, fitness, because again, you're like queen of fitness. You do all sorts of things <laughs> and you're not pigeonholed into one little setting. Um, when did it go from just like, Hey, this is again, a revenue stream that's important for our family to like, wow, like 
I just want to do this. This is great. And I can see myself this being more than just a stopgap revenue solution. All right. Well, that's that's great because that is it's not always like I I loved this as a teenager. No, I didn't. I was doing it for the weight loss for that extra five pounds, that five pounds we all hear about, right? And it was more, it was, it was all about the scale. Um, and I'd actually, I was, had an eating disorder as a teenager and um, it really had some serious issues with my body image. And when that switched was after my kids. Um, I mean, obviously it just eating disorder, it's something that you can hold on to forever, but it really switched when I found that food was my fuel and the things that my body was capable of doing wasn't about a number on the scale. It wasn't that number on the scale. It was about like fueling it. And I'm doing this now because I don't want to look at the mountains and be like, oh, that'd be cool to do. I want to look at the mountains with my fitness, with what I'm able to do and go attack that mountain. I want to go run up that mountain and know that I can do that because of my fitness, not because of a certain that I finally got to this weight. I'm no longer doing it for a weight. And that was huge for me. Um, That was, and that took time. That took a lot of time and it was slow. It wasn't an overnight, like automatically I switched into going from this eating disorder. I'm running to lose weight to no, I want to go run mountains and um, run marathons and food is my friend. It, It was a slow process. It was a slow process and it's still, um, something that sometimes I still battle with, but I absolutely know the difference of um, the, that fitness is no longer about that scale. And it's been so fun to see what my bad is able to do just because of my passion, you know? Absolutely. And I can imagine the kind of endurance that you must have cultivated doing back-to-back sessions or doing so many sessions in a day, right? Because obviously, I mean, I'm just going to assume that it's not like you were like maxing out in these sessions, right? Because you have to talk the whole time and, and all that. But you're just, you're on your feet, right? You're on your feet for a long time during the day. We've had nurses on this podcast before be like, how do you run after a nursing shift? Like, that is insane. Like, you're walking around for 12 straight hours, right? Um, so you you have that building up. So as you're progressing through that decade, um, like you mentioned, like you started this around age 20. At age 30, that's when you really started getting back into endurance sports, kind of in the same, uh, at least similar vein that you are now in that decade, as you were getting older and your kids were getting older and, and you were obviously building up some incredible fitness, when did running start to creep back into the picture or any other endurance sports creep back into the picture as something, um, I guess, somewhat resembling how you view it now? Well, um, I was always running throughout that time, but the passion for running, um, it was probably about four or five years before Ironman came in, but I ended up getting injured. And so I'm like, oh, I need to start incorporating swimming. I need to start in like, and that was a, a, a had to, otherwise there's nothing else to do um, because my body was going through stress fractures and all sorts of different things because it was just running or high impact things with my fitness um, coaching. And with, once I started Ironman, my coach was like, no more marathon, no more it's, we've got to stick with swim, bike, run. You can't do marathon. And, and I understand that. I, I completely understand where he was saying that you, he's like, you want to be good at something or do you want to be great at something? And I was like, Oh, well, I want to be great. Right. And so I stopped doing marathon. Um, and 
I wanted to see what I was able to do in Ironman. Um, so I didn't do marathon for a few years. It, it was all about swim, bike, run, swim, bike, run. Um, finally, after my fourth child, I talked to my coach. I had actually earned my pro card as a triathlete. And I called my coach and I was like, I really just want to see what I could do in a marathon. I just want to see. And he's like, no, no. And I was like, I wasn't asking. <laughs> I was like, there's the Miami marathons in two weeks. You know, I don't have a, an Ironman for, um, gosh, a few months. And I was mid training for this Ironman. It's like, let me just see what I could do. And he's like, he's like, finally, like, you, know, you have a coach for a reason. And I completely understand his reasoning, but I had, I had gotten that pro card as a, as a triathlete. Now I kind of wanted a little bit more. I wanted to dabble in more. And, uh, so I ran the Miami marathon for, uh, first marathon. in I don't know how many years. Um, and I happened to do, I think I did a 248 or 247 and at that marathon. And I was like, what? You know, I'm like, I'm a few minutes away from the trials cutoff, you know? And, and that was so exciting to me. It was a shock. I had no idea that I could even be that close. And I felt good. I felt so good. It was exciting. And, um, and from then on, I, I've kept doing marathons, like marathon after marathon after marathon and Ironman. I love both. And maybe I'm not the best at either, but man, do I sure love both of them. Well, not many people are the best at anything. So they, it's <laughs> like, really like, you know, who cares? Because it seems like you're, it seems like you really enjoy these things that you're doing. And it really is inspiring to see. So when you're going through coming up with, with different things that you want to do from a race perspective, um, you know, obviously you have a certain amount of spontaneity, which is really yeah. exciting. And, and it certainly keeps your, your coach on his toes or her toes, you know, uh, I'm sure. When you, when you think about these races or events that you're going to do, we can't just say races because you do all, all sorts of things that they all, aren't all categorized as races. But are you... Again, not to put make it an A or B question. There's certainly shades of gray here to mix my metaphors. But is um is it more like race goal, like goal specific, or are you much more just like an adventure seeker? Let's just go do something bananas. It's definitely both. There are some races that it's it's all about. Okay, this is my goal, um, individual goals, and other times I'm like. Oh, I I have no like my first hundred miler. I found out ten days before. I'm like, I just want to see what a hundred miles. Oh my god, hundred miles feels like. You, so, so you found out about your hundred miler when you would normally be tapering for the hundred miler? Yeah, I hadn't been on the show for four or five months, and uh, then I got an email saying, "Hey, you got a spot if you want." And I was like, "Gosh, I have nothing to do next weekend. Sure, I'll do it." And so my goal for that was just to get through it and. I had no idea how my body would react. It's done hours and hours every single day of fitness, but how's it going to react on these trails? And, and it did pretty dang good. It was, it loved it. And, uh, so yeah, that one was all about the adventure, but there's certain things that it's, it's all about. Um, there's, there's a, a personal goal in there for me. So when you choose races, how does that play into, into that dichotomy of the whole like race goal versus adventures? There's, um, my choosing with this, everything's changed a little bit in the last couple of years with right, iFit right. because now I'm, I'm very focused on what I'm doing with iFit and that is my number one over racing. Um, and so it has become more adventure the last 
um, year or two as I've been getting deeper and deeper with iFit because I don't know when I'm going to have a weekend that I'm not recording. And I will choose recording 99.9% of the time because I love I love coaching with iFit. Um, and I've been lucky to be able to dabble in some events here and there, but it's nothing's been planned really a, longer than a month out in the last couple of years. So, so, pe- so people who don't know, um, you know, maybe they don't have iFit, but they're not like super aware of, of what that is. Can you just give us like the elevator pitch of like what exactly you do with iFit and then we'll take oh, a little deeper. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So iFit is an interactive experience. Like whether it's, it's on a treadmill or a bicycle or a rower, wherever it is, we take, uh, we go all over the world and we can bring it to your home and automatically, like say I'm, I'm climbing Mount Fuji automatically at home. I'm like, Hey, we're about to go up this hill and the users at home don't need to touch anything. Their, their machine will automatically go to the exact grade. Well, unless it's like a lot steeper than 40%, but it takes you to 40%. That's pretty steep. If you've ever done 40%. Right. And you're not like on a green screen. You're like, no, I am there. We are climbing it and they're feeling it. They're going at the pace that I'm going. If I want to pick it up, I, I mean, I could play with those dials and be like, Hey, you know, you better behave. Otherwise we're taking you 10 miles an hour. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't do that. But it's, it's amazing. That's just taking the guesswork out for these athletes at home that get a machine and then ends up getting dust on it because they don't know what to do with it. And right. our goal is to be able to guide them. Give them. I'm looking at my treadmill, which is right next to me as we're recording this. And there are, a kid, three kids' blankets on it, and oh. two kids' chairs oh. because because they wanted to. Cast is done, Matt. Jake, we're done. Go. My run. kids <laughs> wanted to make it into a bunk bed that they could sleep <laughs> on. I'm like, our whole basement's carpeted. You want to sleep on the treadmill? Like <laughs> this whole thing, <laughs> whole thing is cushioned. What are you doing? Um, well, anyway, there's no cobwebs. I know for a lot of people, a treadmill is like the most expensive wedding dress holder in America. Oh, um, or like, or, or, or pick an item, right? Like because all, it's that treadmill. They don't, well, for one, they don't know how to use it or it's just boring to them. And we want to, we want to take that out. We want to eliminate that by taking them to Mount Fuji or taking them to, um, Switzerland or hey there's studio classes too so they could feel like they're just in a class together with you know just like a, a cycle class at the gym um that we have other athletes that come to it you could take live classes if you don't want to leave your house especially during COVID that was a lifesaver for I mean legit a lifesaver oh, yeah. for thousands and thousands of people that couldn't leave their home and they needed that san- sanity that mental break and to move their body so it's quite an honor to be a part of that, you know, the messages that we get every single day about people, their lives changing throughout this fitness program, you know. I want to talk about that because, you know, I don't I don't use one of those sorts of devices or like I don't have a Peloton, right? Like I I have a coach and, and we, we do stuff like that, but I don't have that interactive experience, right? Yeah. I haven't done that in the past. And so I was kind of naive, not naive to like the situation. I certainly was like, I understood it, but I wasn't aware just how connected users became to these coaches who obviously they don't have a one-on-one like in the flesh experience with, but it was amazing. I think it really came to fruition in terms of my knowledge of it last summer when Tommy Rives 
was beginning to go through a lot of his issues, mm-hmm. a lot of his health issues. And obviously there was like the, the people who know him from, from you know, as a runner and as a triathlete, like you guys have a lot of the same experiences, right? You've, do, you've done a lot of the very similar things beyond iFit. And I was unaware of the huge outreach that came from the iFit community that were like, this is my guy. This, mm-hmm. I, I feel so connected to him. And that was really the first time that I became aware of not only was this, and this, this podcast is not sponsored by iFit. I'm just, yeah, <laughs> just saying, this is remarkable because it was the first time that I had seen that there like this bridge between like, no, this isn't just some guy or gal on the screen that I'm watching, that there is actually a connection here um, between me and this person. It, we really do create relationships. We create friendships. I can't tell you how many times that I've received messages being like, you don't know it yet, Ash, but we're BFFs, you know, stuff like that. And I feel like I'm in a, I'm in a unique situation as an iFit trainer um, because not only am I able to coach every, almost every single day, I actually, I go to so many different events. And so I see so many different types of athletes and a lot of, not all of the athletes are obviously on iFit, but there's a lot of iFit members there and I'm able to meet with them, not just see their emails or see their messages. I'm able to hear it, hear their mm. stories from their their mouths and be like, Oh my gosh, it's my best friend, Ashley. And that's what we're building is a relationship. And once you have that friendship or that relationship, it builds trust. And that trust is what brings them back to keep their body moving. Cause they're like, all right, I know Ashley, she's my buddy where I'm just going to go on a hike with my, my friend. And you know, so they show up again and again, it's very unique. There's nothing out there like it. Um, there are thousands of you know, fitness apps and different ways to get in shape. But we wanted more than that. We wanted to bring an experience. We wanted to take that guesswork out and for them to have a friend. And so it's, it's really fun for me to meet people, um, hear their stories. And so, I mean, now it's just brought racing to a whole new level for me. I'm like, Oh, how many iFit family members am I going to meet today? Um, and I love it. I love hearing their stories and what's, what they love about the iFit community. Oh, I can imagine. And like your energy is infectious. It, it, it pops through the screen, not just in this conversation. And, um, you know, there's a lot of fit people out there, right? There's a lot of people who could do the workouts that you're doing, right? In these iFit classes, whether yeah. there's the running or the biking like that. Again, I mean, I couldn't teach the class, but there are plenty <laughs> of people who could. Definitely. Um, but it's it's the it's the energy level, the engagement that I think is really you want that person who's kind of magnetic because you want, you know, you what I would assume, and please correct me if I'm wrong that 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 the um it's the intangibles that keep them coming back, not the class per se, because it, it's, it's like you can find workout plans all over the place and you can find different stuff, but it's it's the other things that I would think really helps retain some of those folks. Absolutely. I mean, like I said, they're hanging out with their friend. They're showing up for these live classes. They're able to interact with us, ask us questions and um, be a part of it. Everybody likes to be a part of something. And so so we open open up our arms and take them right in. So it's absolutely it's something that I've I feel like my passion. I've always known there was a reason that I had a passion for fitness. And I, I didn't know what it was going to lead to. I, I, you know, teaching these classes and small gyms with 20, 30 people, it impacts people and it changes their lives. But this is, this is my calling besides being a mother and a wife. I feel like this is my calling. Um, 
to be a part of so many other people's fitness journey and to share, you know, my love for, you know, moving our body and just feels good. And if I could, you know, give them a little bit of that energy, I've done my job. Speaking of fitness journey. So I fit recently, um, basically, you know, I wouldn't say merged, but they acquired 29029. So Jesse Itzler's company, which is known for their like crazy, (laughs) cool adventures. And, and it all, you know, basically it welcomes all comers. I don't care about your, again, this is kind of like Jesse's pitch. And, you know, this is a very truncated version of it of like, I don't care what your fitness level is. I just want someone who's dedicated to doing something that's seriously badass. And we are going to provide them a forum to do that an experience to do that. And I part of that. Have you been, have you done any of, of the 29029 stuff? Because it's something that like, that has kind of been around for a couple of years now. And obviously with COVID, it was, you know, everything had to yeah. take a step back, but it it's, it seems like super duper cool. And it's one of those things where it's always in the back of my mind, like, I think I want to do that someday. Oh, it, it. It, I want to get your take on that whole experience. Okay. It was, it was such a unique experience. I actually was able to do the, the uh, 29 or 29, uh, five weeks ago. And I was able to do a part of it with Jesse Isler and we recorded um, segments of it so that it will be brought to the treadmill so people can experience that at home. But the unique thing for me is I love, I love racing. You know, this, I, the world knows this. If you know me at all, I love racing, but I do love that they make this more of a me versus me series. They don't even, they, they have to cap the time because they right. have to, right. But it's not like you go in there and be like, Oh, what, what time did you finish at? Oh, what time? Like, you know, who was first place? There is no first place in this one. It's you're doing it against yourself. It's going up and down this mountain 15 times to get the same vert as Everest, you know, but a little bit safer. Um, and you don't jack up your quads from the downhill. It was so amazing to hear, like see all walks of life there. And there's from young to old people doing it, just being like, I, I want to get to that vert of Everest and or the experience, see what my body is capable of. Maybe I won't make 15 of these, but maybe I will. And it was it was so fun. I was so excited to be a part of that with iFit and to actually be with Jesse Itzler um, uh, and interview him and see why he did it. And he's just like, I don't want people to feel like they need to be able to swim correctly or worry about a bike. We just want them to move. And anybody can do this. Anybody can climb up this mountain at one time and come back down, maybe they can do it again. And they'll try it again. And it was it was really unique. And it was so fun. They they put on a good show. I was listening to Jason Coop's podcast uh, a couple weeks ago, and I think it was a back episode in one of his archives. And he was talking about how he always loves to go to this one ultra race. I don't know if it's Leadville or it's, it's something near his near 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 his home. Um or maybe it's not. I don't know. It's some race. <laughs> and he, he's, he's always at this like one key aid station, like around halfway through on this hundred miler. And he says, it's the craziest thing every year. You never know who's going to drop. Like there are people who yeah. come in like sideways, like doing the sideways lean. <laughs> and, like They make it out of the transition. And there's other people who come in looking like, you know, relatively speaking, fresh like a daisy, fresh as a daisy, I should say. And then, like, all of a sudden, like, they're calling it a day. What was it like for you doing this where, like, you have this, a very, again, this huge endeavor, right? You're, you're, you're scaling what, you know, essentially, the elevation of Everest in a very different environment. Um, 
Did you, what's been your experience, not necessarily just with 29029, but just in the, the wide array of things that you've done in terms of gauging people's ability to push and how it isn't necessarily or potentially is connected to how they may feel or look in the moment, you know, a, you know, a certain amount or a significant amount of the way through an experience? You cannot judge somebody by the cover. Like, we know, like, it's been unreal to watch I mean, through all of these events that I've done, Ironman marathons of people that you're like, Oh, you know, how are they going to get finished? But they've got that, that mental power and they push, they keep trucking through. And there's been other athletes out there that you're like, Oh gosh, they're going to kill it. They're going to crush it. And maybe they're just not mentally ready for it yet, but you can't, I never go into an event being like, you can't look people up and down and, and, and judge them because it's it's in here. You can't see what's going on in their brain and what's what is their why? What's their push that day and what's going to make them keep putting one step in front of the other? So I love watching who actually pushes through. Um, what's one of my favorite things to do is to be at the end, like the cutoff of an event to watch those people that are the true endurance athletes, I feel that are out there for an Ironman for 17, almost 17 hours, you know, and they're, they're cracking um, through that midnight hour. And they're just like, Hey, no, I'm, I don't care. I'm going to finish this. I don't care that I'm almost last out here. That's not what it's about for them. Um, and so it's, it's one of, it's an amazing thing what the mind is capable of doing. And you've done a lot of these things as well. And, I just I have to know that like when you when you were to if you were to catalog like the the characteristics that need to be cultivated in order to get through those experiences or those feelings or the inevitable lows or if it's an ultra race the the series of lows <laughs> that may come um, what would they be or again you could take this question any way you want or maybe it's the opposite maybe it's like hey I can't give you like a, this is what you have to cultivate but I can tell you what not to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, what? How would how how do you differentiate the mental things that need to be built up or need to be you know kept at arm's length? There's some re- events that I um, I mean I've had plenty events that I've completely bonked hard, um, and I don't know how I'm going to get to that finish line when I'm on the side of the road puking my guts out and or you know going blind in a, in a hundred mile race, my all sorts of things that have happened. I don't know sometimes how I'm going to make it through that next mile. I just know I am because I've, I've gone into every event and I'm like, it's, I'm not quitting until they pull me off this course. And I've, I made that decision right away. And it's just not what I can do. A lot of people go out there and race. And if they're not in the top three or four, especially in the professional field, They'll pull from the event and that's fine because they've got their own personal goals. But for me, I can't do that. I will, I will be that last runner out there and I've got no shame in that. For me, I cannot quit for my sake. And so the answer isn't always clear how it's going to get done, but I know it will get done. Have you drawn from the experience of, of quitting and like, and learn from it? Is that, is that, is that part of the reason that you take such a dogmatic approach to like, I will not quit, or is it more just like an ethos that you've cultivated? It's just been a part of me. I've, I, there's been two events that I haven't finished. Um, 
And it was because I've wrecked and I've been pulled off the course and, and you know, an ambulance. Yeah. Thing. What are you going to do? It's, it's not been an experience of myself being like, Oh, I quit that, that race. I didn't have to. And I did. And, um, it's, I'm proving to myself that this is why I'm doing it because I want to feel that hard. I'm not going into a hundred mile race thinking it's going to be easy. I know there's going to be times that I'm going to be at my deepest lows and I want to feel that. And I know there's going to be times I'm going to be at the highest of highs and be like, this is amazing. And I want to feel that. I want all the feels. I, I mean, it sounds crazy, but I want to be puking my guts out. I want my legs to cramp sometimes and feel that and learn from it so I could bring it into another event and how to work through it the next time, how I'm going to do it different the next time. I love all the feels. I don't want to go through this life thinking like, and having everything easy. I don't want to go through an Iron Ironman and be like, oh, this is easy. You know, I want to, I want to feel it. It's, it's what it's about for me. And I love it. All the feels, maybe not while I'm going through it, you know, but after I'm like, yes, this is it. I love that. And I was listening to Dylan Bowman's recap of Hard Rock. So he recently ran Hard Rock. I think he came in second. And he was talking about how he was going into the race. And one of the things, one of the, someone called a monster. One of the things that he was talking about and thinking about prior to the event was that, like, grasping the idea of, and certainly wasn't novel to him, but grasping the idea of struggling is a gift instead of viewing it as the opposite. Yes. That's why we're here, to struggle. That's what it's. Like, I mean, you think about building muscle. What do you do to build muscle? You got to break it down. You got to break it down. Then it comes back stronger. It comes back stronger. We were going to, I want to break myself down out there so I can come back stronger and feel it all. So a lot of people can do, you know, intense training or back-to-back races and really put in like a wild 12 to 18 month segment of their life. Um, that can be pretty hardcore, but it's not unheard of, right? We see that a lot. And oftentimes for for folks, you know, that candle can get snuffed out and it's hard to kind of get it back, right? Or it can lead to injury or or other things, right? We see this a lot in the ultra community, right? We see athletes who come in super hot and then three years later, you're like, hey, whatever happened to that guy or girl? Like what? They were like winning all these races and now they're nowhere to be found. One thing that has been very consistent for you is you. You are incredibly <laughs> consistent. You're here. You've been around for a long time. And you, know, you just ran your 91st marathon, I think. Like, there, there's yeah. a certain amount of longevity um, to your career that is remarkable. And not only that, you seem to be only getting better. So I guess my question is, how? You get better with age, right? I'm going to be 40 next week, you know, and I've learned from all these 91 marathons. I know I'm going to still have really bad marathons out there. That's part of the game, but I've learned so much from it and actually just keeps getting bigger and growing from it because I am seeing that I'm still getting stronger. This 40s for females, that's like prime for endurance. And I mean, I'm a week away from hitting prime. I cannot wait, right? You know, I I feel excited still about it. And I hope I never lose it. It's one thing that I tell a lot of people. They're like, oh my gosh, I'm so nervous for this race, Ashley. I mean, you're probably not even nervous, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh no, oh no. I get nervous for, I mean, unless I'm like pacing a race that I know like it's an easier, but if I'm going out there, I'm like, I don't want to lose that. Once I lose that, I feel like I've lost a part of me and um, I won't be as excited to race. I don't ever want to look at racing as a job. Um, 
I look at as a, at it as um, an opportunity and like a, an exciting thing that I my body's able to um, push through. And so once I if I if I flip that in my mind to be like, oh, you know, there's a, there might be a paycheck at the end of this. There might be this that takes the fun out of it. And I have to keep it exciting and. And I have to keep things fresh. And that is one of the reasons I dabble into all of a sudden jump into a hundred mile race or Ironman or, you know, who knows? It might be a snowshoeing event next Who you know, uh, I don't even know. And that's, that's how I like it. I want to keep things fresh and keep it exciting for me. So I don't lose that passion. I love that. And it really comes through in addition to the passion and the excitement and the internal motivation and drive that you obviously have. There's just a health element here, right? So like, Absolutely. like the recovery that comes into play and making sure that you're not overcooking yourself. Right. And you're not yeah. you know, experiencing that. Like, wow, like I just, I don't have the love anymore. And it's not because I don't like the sport. It's just like, Get the ovens on too hot, man. I'm burnt. Like yeah, this is over. Yeah. Um, how do you manage those aspects of your training in your life so to make sure that you know, you 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 do continue to get better with AIDS, like you just mentioned? You know, I I um I might be a little unique in for a runner to say this, um, especially one that runs as much as I do. I have no problem not running for a week. I have no problem. Like if I feel something tweaking or feel something going wrong with my body, um, I have no problem backing away and be like, all right, I don't, I don't need to run this week. I'm going to go swim. I'm going to go do whatever. And a lot of athletes will push through that, which they're like, oh, mentally I've got to push through it. I'm tough. And, and I, I respect the tough factor, but you have to respect the body and you have to back away when it's talking to you. And I, I feel like sometimes those injuries are what going to burn us out. And help, they're going to actually pull us back that if we don't stop and we can't look at a week and be like, I have to run, I have to hit X amount of miles. Um, I don't look at my weeks that way. I'm no longer coached. I haven't been coached for, gosh, I don't know how many years. Um, So I'm completely off of my field. I dial in my training, but if there's something I'm like, "It's, it's not happening, I'm okay backing away. And I think that's really important. It's really hard to learn. Um, It's taken me a lot of, uh, I've gone through the adrenal fatigue where I've been like, keep pushing because, oh, yesterday's run was slow. I need to go do that again. And then it's slower and then slower. And then I find out I'm in this funk of my body shot and I don't want to go back there. So now I'll just stop running and do other things. So I don't have to hit that again. Um, So yeah, it, it does come with age that, that knowledge, but you have, you have to be smart about what you're putting your body through. Cause I, I put it through a lot and I don't plan on just doing this in my forties, my thirties, my, like for now, I want to do this forever. And so that's what I always think about. If I'm like, I, mm, Ashley, is this just a for now thing? Oh, you better back it up. Otherwise you won't be able to get that dream of doing it forever. So this seems like a great way to look at the benefits of being a multi-sport athlete. Because if you don't have all your eggs in one basket, then when something gets taken away, it's like, oh, well, like <laughs> I got these other five things yeah. I got to do anyway. Exactly. Yeah. I'll go swim this week. It'll be a high swim week. You know, you just to make a jet, you got to adapt and roll with it and be okay with it. Be okay with your, your training peaks or whatever app you use to keep, like you have to tweak it up sometimes and that's okay. Cause your body's talking and man, you don't want it to start screaming. Oh, I can imagine. All right, let's talk about the 
Olympic marathon trials because oh, you right. went you went into that race again. This is going this is going back right. This is not breaking news. Obviously, like, yeah. we're at the Olympics. We're a year and a half removed from this race. But I think I'm not at the Olympics, so I didn't make the Olympics. This isn't the Tokyo <laughs> uh, hotel room behind me. That's we not what pretend. I'm looking at. That's not, the, that's not the cardboard bed that we've that we've heard so much about. Um, well, you went into this race, and I, this is what I want to hear because so many people have. I mean, I'm not going to say what they have, but you, you've gone through an experience that I think can be so illustrative for so many people. So you went into that race. Your number was in the 400s. For people who don't know, everyone who went into the Olympic trials, basically, they were numbered by their qualifying time. So if, say, you had the fastest qualifying time coming into the race, then you had number one, right? And then right. you the second, you had number two. So you were in the 400s. Anyone who qualified, super fit, super fast, right? So we'll just say that out there. And I think the goal for a lot of people was to beat their number. And you see this a lot with the Boston Marathon. Same sort of thing, except for the charity runners. They have a different numbering yeah. system for that, which is a goal for these races. Where like, if I beat my number, that's pretty cool. Because yeah. it means I kind of exceeded, you know, the external potential expectation of this. You, my friend, had <laughs> the biggest increase of anybody in the race so oh really break, i you didn't have, know that i didn't you know have that, to I, I, yeah because my, i guess i just didn't even think about it so yeah so, Woo, there's news so, tell, so tell the folks what you came in and what was looking back on again we went to rehash the whole race it was a year and a half ago and you've talked about it in other shows but tell us with hindsight being 2020 why you think you were able to do something at that race that literally no one else was able to do because it truly is remarkable Thank you so much. Um, going into the trials, it was just, I was honored to just even be there because that was never even a goal up until like I, I brought up the Miami marathon that I did. Um, and I was like, oh, maybe I could have a chance. And um, so actually getting to the trials, the journey getting there, it didn't happen on my very first try. It took me a few shots to get there um, to actually break that 245. And so the, the event that I actually qualified at, my fitness was pretty good. Um, and I knew that I was probably on target for, you know, a 240 if I wanted it, but everything had to fall into place. And I wasn't about to take that chance because I had already failed a couple times, failed at my goal. Um, and so I'm like, no, you're keeping it right at that 617. You do not go any faster. I don't care if I get it by the second. And my friends, I almost got it by a second. Like it was nine seconds that I qualified for. Like nine seconds. Had I like taken a turn a little wider, I would have missed it again. Um, and so I knew my body was capable of a faster time on the course that day. Um, it was a really windy day. It's a, it's a pretty up and down rolling course. And that's where I thrive is when the weather starts to turn and people's minds starts to turn. And I'm like, oh yeah, bring on some gnarly weather. Let's get some hills involved. And I was just so excited to be there. Um, I don't, I didn't do anything differently with my training. It was just a really good, magical day. And so I was thrilled to be able to come in at a, it was like 240.06 or something like that. Um, and so for me, I I was like, maybe I'll get top 100. That would be an awesome thing. That would have been amazing, maybe. right? Like, I, amazing. I, I, I didn't know, I, you know, because I knew my number was for something. But I'm like, I think I maybe could get in the top 100. Um, but it'd have to be a, a perfect day. 
but I believe, I believe in miracles. And it was a perfect day for me. It was really good. Obviously the Olympics wasn't the goal for me. I just wanted to have a magical day for me and my family that was there supporting me. And, and it was absolutely spectacular. So you came in the forties. You went from 400s to the 40s. (laughs) Yes. Uh, I think I was 44th. And when they told me that, I actually was like, uh, what, 440, right? And, you know, I was like, no way. No way. I was shocked. So it was was a perfect day for my body. So were you really unaware? How how aware in the race were you of how well you were doing compared to the field, right? I mean, obviously you can see the people's numbers on the course. So like, you know, like say you're running in a pack, you can look around and be like, all right, well, I see that number. I know their face. I know their name. There's a certain amount of people that you're going to know uh, just from being a part of the running community. This is a long-winded way of me asking, um, <laughs> how aware or unaware were you of your place in the field? I had no idea until um, mile about 22-ish. Um, somebody's like, you're in the top 50. And I was like, what? And I actually, I was like, they're probably off. Cause I'll be That's honest with you. Guy was like, you're almost there. One more hill to go. It's around the corner. Uh, <laughs> their heart's in a good spot, Matt. Like, <laughs> that's, that's a very diplomatic way of saying it. Thank you. I have to, I have to, cause I'm just like, Oh, bless them. The heart's in a good spot. <laughs> I am not almost there. Um, but he told me that and I'll be honest with you. I, I, uh, I didn't look at anybody's number. I can't play that way. It plays with my head. I didn't, um, I didn't, I don't pay attention to the field like that. I don't know very many of like, I don't dive deep into other runners worlds unless they're part, like they're a part of my world, unless they're my friends. I, I can't play that way. Cause that's not why I'm there. And that's never been why I'm there. Um, if I'm able to, if I'm diving more into it like that, I have a tendency to do worse because I, it starts playing with my head, starts playing tricks in there. So I'm like, no, go out, go out there, do your thing, Ashley, you're not out there for everybody else. You're not out there to be in the top 50. If you happen to be, oh my gosh, amazing, which it was an honor to be there. Um, and so I didn't, I had no idea until some random guy told me that. And I was like, what? And I still feel pretty good. So it was great. It was a great day. All right. What were the things that you did? Not, not just in the cycle leading up to it, but just in the decade 15 years leading into that race that do you think helped prepare you mentally and physically to excel on a day that wreaked havoc on a lot of very strong, very talented and very tough runners, right? You were not the only tough, badass runner on that course. <laughs> a lot, there were a lot of people there, like hundred percent of them are right. They're yeah. all supremely gifted athletes who work very, very hard. With that said, what do you think led to that uh, advantage that you brought to the course that day that maybe some other people, not even, not, not even to compare it, but like, what, were the, what were the things that you think were, um, you know, in, in your favor for that race? Well, part of it, um, one thing is, I think it threw a lot of people off, was a noon start, starting at noon. Um, I think we started at uh, 12.21 or something like that a lot of runners and a lot of races are early morning and that's when they're getting their training in for me as a triathlete, I'm not running. I'm biking typically or swimming first. My run comes at 
at noon or one, typically. That's what my body knows. And even if I, it's just a run day, I still like to wait till it's midday because I like to play with the heat um, because that's how I need to run on a triathlon racing. And so I feel like the timing of the day, as silly as that might sound, I think that helped in my advantage. Um, and going into this race, just absolutely knowing it was just, it was just for me. I, I didn't eyeball the field. I didn't eyeball up and down, like what I'm going to do. I just knew what my, or what they're going to do. I wanted to focus on completely what my body was going to do. And I, I feel like that really does help play um, a part in how I race a lot, you know? And it seems like just the, and I don't know the chicken and egg element of this, but the, the fact that just even your face lit up when you're describing the conditions that day. And I can imagine <laughs> other people thinking the opposite. And, and this reminds me of like, I've read all like the Lance Armstrong books and, you know, obviously like <laughs> he's made some very poor decisions in his life, but. I, from a racing spirit perspective, he really is such an interesting guy. And one of the things that you always hear about in his Tour de France wins is that whenever he like would look outside the camper or later on when they got a little more money at U.S. Postal, like the, the, the coach bus that they had and he saw like the storm clouds coming in, he was like, all right, that's what like, I'm talking about. Right. Like people. Yeah. And it seems like it's not like it makes you run faster. Right. That's no. like obviously not, but it seems like is it the idea of embracing these elements but you can't control so why not embrace them but exactly. just just the act of embracing it gives you gives you an advantage absolutely and i i i think going into that event i had so many races that had gnarly weather and and i've done better on those days i mean not better times but better like place better um on those days that's the day that i earned my pro card for ironman or triathlon i'm sorry um it was 108 degrees. Oh God. And I mean, people were just dropping and I'm like, it's 108. Let's go. I kept seeing the temperature climb. I'm like, keep climbing, keep climbing. Um, and I feel if people would embrace that more and people do, I, I, I know other athletes that really do. Um, but for the most part, people don't, they want that like happy 70 degrees calm, you know, and who doesn't like a nice fast day. But when you throw in different elements, I'm like, oh, this is my playground now. Let's go. Right. And I love that because it's not like you're approaching it from this this idea of like self-punishment. Like, yes, I'm going to run in 103 no. weather because I'm going to like, I'm going to bury myself and I'm going to show the world how tough I am. You, It seems like you approach it like this idea of like fun. Element. Yes. It's just different. It's different. I don't want to do the same thing over and over. It's something, oh, I, I haven't dealt with that yet. Okay, let's go. So you've had an interesting couple months, right? You had the, the 29029 yes. <laughs> Everest, <laughs> which is interesting to say the least, right? You had the Ironman over in France, right? Oh, Came in around. No, that was in Quarterling. Oh, okay. I know. It's funny. Close. Dave, don't cut this out. This is this is my this this is a classic match. I saw the the Ironman Quarterling. I was like, that's a French word. This must have been over in France. I didn't even like. I didn't even. <laughs> I didn't even like take a hard look at it. I was like, that's, that, that's France written all over it. It's Coraline. We can call yeah, it that. Exactly. You know? Yeah, exactly. I was in French. It was great. Right. This reminds me of like, I ran the Rome Marathon. Like, oh, you went over to Italy? Like, no, it was Rome, Georgia. Like, no, no, no. 
Um, not near as cool. All right, there you go. Idaho. Idaho. Anyway, Idaho's great. Dave, keep that in. Everyone has to know that we make mistakes constantly uh, on this podcast. Um, But either way, it was still an Ironman, no matter what it was. And and then you had the Desert News Marathon, uh, you know, a week ago. So so much in such a little bit amount of time. So walk me through that experience because it seems like boom, boom, boom. Tell me about the recovery from these so that you're able to kind of like do the next thing and do the yeah. next thing, especially with desert news. And, and I'd love to hear just the, the, um, the emotional heartstrings of that part of that race for you. So obviously you oh, want to yeah. go into it with, with, with good vibes. Um, just how did the recovery coming from out, out of all of these is just remarkable. To, uh, Thank you. It, it is um, not something that, I feel everybody is capable of doing all that stuff if they built up to it. I, this is something I've done for years. It's not something that I'm going to just throw at a new athlete and be like, oh, well, I did it. You've got to remember I've been doing this for so many years, like 20 years I've been building up to this. And my body knows how to recover really quick. It's you know, It knows tomorrow I'm not going easy again. You know, maybe I do all right after an Ironman or something, but after a hard workout, it knows the next day it's going to be another hard day. And um, so with the proper fueling and the proper recovery tools, and um, I do all of that. I, your body needs it. And I've learned the hard way that if I don't do that, I'm going to, I'm not going to do so well. And I can't go out there and play again. And I want to play. I want to play every weekend, but I, I try to not do that for this is my husband's sake. He would go insane. But <laughs> um, the 29029, it wasn't a fast event. Yes, it's a lot on your body and no sleep and going. And so it's not like I burnt, like I was sore after. I was tired after. And um, I probably slept, I think it was 16 hours after. <laughs> and I woke up and I'm like, all right, I feel good. But I still kept it easy that next day. I've got to remember there's an Ironman. It was a week apart from each other. Um, kept it easy. And then I had two days that I had some pushes in there, but short, very short. But I had that intensity just to get the fire back in my legs. Um, and the Ironman um, in France. <laughs> I got no, I'm never going to live this down, but I'm, I'm going to no, roll with it. I'm going to no, roll with it anyway. Yeah, the Ironman in Idaho. <laughs> Um, I, I was supposed to be the, the France of the Midwest. I heard that. Yeah, there you go. There you go. We'll go with that. There's, there's French fries. So sure. Um, it was, that one took a little bit more recovery to do after than the 29 or 29, because I was working at my intensity, a harder intensity and, um, dealing with different things like on that one. So I took a good, I didn't, I don't run after an Ironman until, or a marathon until my heart rate is back to its normal resting heart rate. I don't have a certain day. It's not like I'm like four days after I can run. I wait on that until my resting heart rate's where it needs to be. Um, I'm very diligent that way. I have no problem not running if my heart rate is too high because I know my body still needs recovery. Um, and so with the Coeur Lane Ironman and the Desert News, it was four weeks break. And and I knew my body was ready for a marathon. I didn't run my best at Coeur d'Alene Ironman. And so my body wasn't sore. Once again, it was just tired. Um, and so I knew going into Desert News, I would uh, my body was going to be back and ready. But I also went into Desert News fully loaded, 
because I've got another Ironman in four weeks. So that's what I'm training for. Solid training run. It was a training run that I needed to do, not just for me, but something that I promised my dad I would do for him. I didn't know when I was going to do it when I promised him, but I was in town during the 24th of July and I knew this, it was a good time for me to jump into that marathon. Um, and, and so I, I did it and it, I, I won't lie. I was very, very tired even towing the line of that marathon due to the past Ironman due to a heavy loaded week. Um, I didn't know if my body was going to respond. And yet, and won. yet I, I did. I won, <laughs> I won that event because I was, I was running with my dad right by my side. Um, and making it sound like my dad's no longer here, but there's a story behind Deseret News. Do you mind if I share that little story Please do. there? There is a, a lot of emotions tied to that race out of the out of 91 marathons that I've ran. This was definitely the most emotional marathon that I've ran, even with the trials or the, the, um, the one that I qualified for the trials, those were all very emotional, but this one had so much more to it than just another, uh, you know, check slowly get to a hundred marathons. Um, when I was about, like I was almost seven years old, I saw my dad running that marathon for his very first marathon. And I'm peeking out the window. There's 11 of us. I've got 11 siblings. Um, and we're cheering for my dad. We're cheering my mom and being like, yeah, dad, go. He's miserable. He gave us the look of don't even say another thing. I don't want to hear your cheers. I don't want any part. And I was like, oh my gosh, <gasps> why is he doing that to himself? And then the more important question, why do I kind of like have this fascination with it? That is the day. On the 24th of July, 1988, that the seed was planted that one day I was going to do marathons. And that's where it grew. And so I promised my dad almost a year ago that um, I was going to run this event for him. I'd never done that particular one. And he actually came downstairs and showed me that he still had his shirt that he wore that day, his racing shirt, you know. 1988 it says on it the little 80s guy running on it with the shorty shorts and oh i was like god. oh my gosh dad you still have this shirt i was like not only am i gonna run that marathon i'm gonna run that marathon in that shirt for you dad and he was just like oh okay you know sure oh oh man have you ever ran in a cotton t-shirt before i have but only for like six miles and like okay. really temperate weather yeah <laughs> not yeah. in the desert oh my lanta but I, I, uh, I put that shirt on with pride that day. It's an extra large t-shirt. I am, I'm not an extra large girl, but, uh, <laughs> put that t-shirt on proudly for my dad. And I was like, today is it's for my dad. I don't care what I'm going to go through. I didn't know if I was going to win the event, but I knew I was going to try. I was going to give it my heart and soul. Cause I wanted to break that tape and uh, just show my dad how much I appreciate him sharing his passion with me and what it's built, like what it's grown into. And um, now I'm able to share that with thousands and thousands of others um, through running and through IFIT. And um, during that race, I was hurting from mile one, Matt. I was, my body was like, no, no, you're, you're done, Ash. You had such a loaded week. You messed up so much on your nutritional week. I was already sore. Um, and 
it was a different mental game that day. I was like, my dad is there. No, like he's waiting for me. And I've had other people there. Like, I love it when my husband's there, all this thing, but this was my special day for him. And I didn't know how close second place was, it was, but I, I knew that her goal was, um, around the 250. So I knew I had need to, needed to be there, but my body did not want to go there that day, but it somehow did. It somehow did. He was carrying me and, uh, I was able to cross that finish line, um, sweaty, nasty mess and an old cotton t-shirt, but never been so, so excited to run in an ugly t-shirt in my life. Um, and hug my dad at the finish line. What a great way to, to end this episode with like a classic, another, another classic example of like, you can do so much. And if you don't believe me, just listen to Ashley Paulson, who's done <laughs> that exactly thing, that exact thing time and time again. Ashley, thank you so much for coming on this show. I really and truly appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I've been, I've been so excited um, whenever a new podcast of yours comes out. And so to be a part of that now, I really appreciate it. Ashley, thank you so much. This was a blast. I mean, honestly, this was something else. I had so much fun recording this conversation. If you can go check her out, please do. I mean, she she is really one of a kind. We got her uh, her links to um, her social media accounts are in the uh, the show notes. This podcast, so go check her out. You probably you probably already follow her, and you might know her just from her trademark. Right? She's got like the hot pink hair. She's out there, hot pink, hot purple hair. She's out there kicking some serious butt, uh, and she shares so much good stuff over on social media too, which is always always a hoot. And again, if you have iFit capabilities with any of your your gear, whether that's uh, you know your treadmill or your bike, or if you can just pop your um your iPad onto one of those. You know, she's, she's certainly doing some really cool stuff with that too, as you heard in this conversation. So thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Next week, we're catching up with two of our Road to the Trials podcast guests. We have Olivia Baker and Frank Lara coming back on the show, doing some recap episodes with those two guys. Uh, that will be super fun as well. So thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of In Post Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest of states these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.